the John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that for us next. Big job there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. Oh, down goes Duffy. Oh, cold. Frank Mir does it again. Rock'em, sock'em, robots here. Oh, my goodness. I believe there are a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, we're back, folks. Back after the bye week and great to be with all of you. It is Monday, November 29th. The year is still 2021. It's episode 326 of the Anakin Florian podcast. Ken Flo, did you enjoy the week off? Miss me at all? <laughs> I did. I did. I ate way too much. Uh, you know, was it was a bad boy. But other than that, yes, I did miss you. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been cutting weight the last 48 hours. I think I was like in my own little eating competition on Thursday to see if I could do like six, seven thousand calories. We cleared seven, seven thousand calories. There's no Oof. doubt. about it. Um, but yeah. man, this MMA news cycle just continues to give. We'll talk a little bit today about the main event offering between Benil Daryush and Islam Makhachev. That should provide further clarity, of course, atop the lightweight division. That one's in February. So we'll get some thoughts from Ken Flo, an early handicap on that time permitting some thoughts on. Triad combat. Am I pronouncing that right, Ken Flo? Yes. Triad in our appreciation Like triage. Triad combat. Platinum Mike Perry reportedly making a quarter mil to show and victorious uh, in a triangle over the weekend. Um, But we were obviously not here during Thanksgiving week. So I would like to get your thoughts, at least off the top in headlines, on the main event between Ketlin Vieta and Misha Tate. Unanimous decision for Vieta, 48-47 times two dissenting judge, 49-46, four to one, all three judges in favor of Ketlin Vieta. I would agree with Misha Tate that as an observer, a somewhat distracted observer, mind you. I thought it was a relatively close fight, um, but I thought Ketlin Vieta was certainly the winner. Your thoughts on the main event a couple weeks ago? Yeah, I, I think uh, I saw it the same way. I think that I saw some major improvements um, as far as the some of the, the striking mechanics of Misha Tate. I thought she was a much better striker out there, uh, made some excellent progress there, but I thought Ketlin Vieira was more effective. I thought Misha wasn't moving her feet as well, and she was taking some shots and, and wearing the shots of Vieira, and I think that really was the difference at the end of the day. Ketlin Vieira showed improvements herself. I thought her fundamentals were a little bit more solid. She did a good job of stopping those takedowns. I thought if Misha was able to get on top, uh, I thought it would have favored Misha for sure. She wasn't successful in that realm, and it was a close fight, but certainly uh, had Ketlin Vieira winning that fight. You had a great week, by the way. If betters had put $100 on all of your selections, your only miss was on Misha, uh, plus $527. You're making the listeners money over the last several weeks. There we go. Um, But as far as Ketlin Vieta is concerned, and, you know, sometimes in lieu of an analytical mind like yours, I focus on things like, you know, commitment, right, Mm. and work ethic and focus, right? And sometimes you need the right opponent and the right fight to bring you back to that place. And anyone who remembers when Ketlin Vieta was signed by the UFC knows that the promotion thought highly of her and thought that she could produce results like this. And I think when you get a main event against a returning motivated Misha Tate, title eliminator of sorts insofar as one of you is eliminated and Misha Tate was eliminated. I thought it brought the best out of Ketlin Vieta. She was focused. She made weight and man, she hits fucking hard, huh? She hits hard. You know, she's definitely well built for that division and again, showed improvements. And I I think you look at her fight against Irena Aldana, um, you know, the improvements that she's made since then and 
you know, coming back from, you know, those couple of losses, uh, she showed that she is tough. She is determined. And she went against Misha Tate, like you said. Um, she went against a Misha Tate that was highly motivated, that showed improvements. It wasn't enough. But I think Misha's on the right track. This is a Misha Tate late in her career that is improving as a martial artist and as a fighter. And I expect more of those changes moving forward from her as well. And, of course, in less than two weeks, Juliana Pena in this division will challenge Amanda Nunes for one of her two titles, the UFC Women's Bantamweight Championship. And for those suggesting that the waters are pretty shallow thereafter, you know, Ketlin Vieta is a new challenger. A lot of people thought that maybe she would have gotten to the top of the heap sooner. But uh, after this win over Misha, um, remains to be seen how many cuts to 35 Nunes still has left. Remains to be seen if she even gets past Juliana Pena. Um, but Ketlin Vieta is in the mix after a big win over Misha Tate. Uh, unless you have anything else on the main event, I'll move along to Sean Brady, who who certainly passed the biggest test of his UFC career to date. Yeah, and, and really impressive given the fact that he doesn't have a dozen fights in the UFC and he's facing a guy er, relatively early in his career uh, in Michael Chiesa, who has been there and really done that both at 55 and 170 pounds and also being a tall, lanky grappler. This was going to be an interesting test for Sean Brady. And boy, did he pass, um, you know, uh, the test. I thought that he showed superior grappling skills to that of Michael Chiesa. His entries into takedowns were phenomenal. They showed excellent timing there, was taking down Michael Chiesa, showing superior uh, positioning there, landing some good strikes on the ground, where I thought... Um, he, a little was was left to be desired was on the striking aspect of Sean Brady's uh, game. The, mm. I expected a little bit more striking-wise. I thought Michael Chiesa was winning a lot of those exchanges and hurting Brady there. But an undefeated Sean Brady here at 5-0 and is extremely impressive. Again, only five fights into his career. On his fifth fight, he's fighting a true veteran, Michael Chiesa, and getting it done and doing it impressively – this kid is someone to watch at 170 pounds, no question about it. Yeah, perfect UFC start, 5-0. and I think 14 or 15-0 and overall, but getting in a lot of valuable developmental time, not just in the gym in, in the Northeast, but uh, but obviously in the octagon against a guy as credentialed as Michael Chiesa. Chiesa took to social media, said largely the goal remains unchanged. He's still focused on becoming the undisputed UFC welterweight champ, um, but he's obviously got a hill to climb, and and it's a more steep grade now with back-to-back -back losses to uh, Vicente Luque and now Sean Brady. Seemed like maybe Brady was dealing with a bloody nose early on and I know I think in reading some of his quotes after the fact he might have a procedure to try to sort of nip that in the bud but he says sometimes even when he just gets touched with an open palm in training things start to leak so uh, hopefully that won't be something that rears its ugly head throughout Sean Brady's career uh, he did call for potentially the winner of Bilal Muhammad and Stephen Wonderboy Thompson but regardless wow. big things for Sean Brady he's getting a big fight just had a big fight he's getting a big fight next yeah, and how about that for confidence you know again saying yes to a fight like Michael Chiesa in his own and only his fifth fight in the UFC now calling out you know the winner of Bilal Muhammad uh and Sean uh and, and Wonderboy uh, sorry Stephen Wonderboy Thompson uh it, it shows that he feels he is ready to make a run for the title already so um looking forward to seeing how that develops by the way betting odds released over the weekend for Muhammad and Stephen Wonderboy Thompson did that cross your wake at all Ken Flo Thompson no. minus no, should I tell you? Should I make you guess? So my twin brother called me okay. after yeah. getting a text from our executive producer, Cody Merrow. He said, before you look at your phone, what do you think the opening line is on Stephen Wonderboy Thompson and uh, and our guy, Bilal Muhammad, who yep. hosts a show on this channel every Thursday night. It's called Remember the Fucking Show without the F word. So 
I thought Bilal would be the underdog. I thought Wonderboy would be like minus 190. That was my guess. What do you think? I think that's about right. Uh, I'd say, yeah, um, maybe 180-ish for Wonderboy. So he's minus 240. So a little bit more pronounced. And when I pulled the masses, a lot of people sort of liked Wonderboy at that number. The comeback on Bilal is is minus or is plus 190, I should say. Um, But I think these are pretty simple fights to handicap when it is Wonderboy Thompson, right? I mean, is is Muhammad going to be able to do a lot of what Gilbert Burns was able to do and make this his fight? Um, because, again, standing and trading with this guy more often than not is a recipe for disaster. I thought that was yeah. interesting. That came out. And uh, Sean Brady certainly factors prominently in that welterweight equation. Um, Tyler Santos with a submission win over Joanne Wood, who is now 0-1 under the Wood banner after dropping the Calderwood. And then Adrian Yanez. I know you're a fan over Davey Grant. Yeah. Split decision. 29-28 times two for Yanez. And the other judge had it 30-27 for Davy Grant. This is obviously something you're looking to avoid when it comes to the yeah. scorecards. Michael Bisping had it 2-1 for Davy Grant. He was on the call, and that is not British bias. I think he is giving an objective scorecard there. Um, I thought Yanez won the fight. It was a competitive fight. I like both guys. Your thoughts on, on Adrian Yanez back earlier this month? Listen, I, I didn't think it was going to be easy to finish someone like Davy Grant. Um, and he's a guy that just will survive and find a way to come back, and he's going to fight to the very end. However, I would disagree with our buddy Michael Bisping. I, I thought Giannis did win the fight. I think that when you have that kind of shoulder roll style, it looks like you're taking shots. A lot of those shots were really skimming off the top of the head or you know, sliding off that deflecting shoulder of Adrian Yanez. Um, so I, I, I don't think a lot of those shots were landing, to be honest. Davy Grant showed a lot of heart in that fight. But Yanez, I thought, was just really dominant with his striking. I, I thought it was even closer. I thought it was the 30-27 for Yanez to be right. honest. Right. And um, I thought there was one of those rounds that were, were close. But, um, you know, I thought it really it was Yanez who was piecing up Davy Grant for the most part um, and, you know, just leading the dance pretty much start to finish. So uh, and another impressive performance for Yanez, getting more experience, getting better. Uh, and, and he did it against a very tough Davy Grant. It really is hard to judge this sport, to watch the striking closely. And I know for those of us who commentate the sport, it's even harder. I remember you saying to me, God, probably 10 years ago now, but how hard it is when both guys land simultaneously to not yeah. dip into one narrative, right? But you're right. I did think that Yanez was rolling pretty well with a lot of those shots. And I think sometimes beauty is in the eye of the beholder and Grant throws a lot of himself into those shots. And um, you really have to watch closely as an observer. And I think sometimes as a fan, when there's a lot going on, drinking or whatever else, it's hard to really watch strikes. And certainly as a commentator, when you're talking to your producers, and, but as a fan like Ken Flo, I know you're watching this stuff pretty closely and uh, and you saw what you saw. Um, Ronnie Yaya. I mean, just go bet on Ronnie Yaya, right? <laughs> the ageless Ronnie Yaya gets it done over Kyung Ho Kong, 29-28 times three. Yeah, just uh, again, another vintage uh, Ronnie Yaya performance. And he found himself in, in some trouble there against the Korean fighter who showed some serious toughness. But Yaya, just too good, man. You know exactly what he's going to do. He still gets finds a way to get you to the ground. Um, whether he's on his back or not, uh, knows how to turn the tables and take advantage, take that back. And uh, surprised he wasn't able to get the finish from uh, you know the, that back mount, but uh, just dominant nonetheless. Severe, superior positioning. 
Brazilian jiu-jitsu at its best right there. All right, so after an off week for the combat sports leader, the UFC will be back at it. Three consecutive shows here in December, the 4th, the 11th, and the 18th. First up will be Rob Font and Jose Aldo. James Krause coming up shortly to make some predictions. Gotta love two guys on the main card who can flow fought. You know, you gotta <laughs> love it. Clay Guida and Jose Aldo. More on that coming up later. Um, but a couple other items I want to get to before we bring on Ray Longo. He's gotten progressively less polite with his text mm. message replies when I write, hey man, like is 12.30 p.m. Eastern good? And he'll be like, yes. You know, not like, yes, happy Thanksgiving, looking forward to it. Just yes. So we'll have to catch up with... uh with what I believe will be a curmudgeonly Ray Longo on a Monday morning. I mean, the Monday after Thanksgiving week is hard for a lot of people. But um, I want to get your thoughts on a few other items before we move on. So Islam Makhachev, by virtue of the way he beat Dan Hooker, and because he's won like nine consecutive fights, a lot of people felt like maybe he was going to be a backup for the title fight between Charles Oliveira and Dustin Poirier, which is coming up on December 11th, or a lot of people thought maybe he'd be next for the title. But it looks as though that distinction belongs to Justin Gaethje, who will await the winner of Oliveira and Poirier. And that means that Islam Makhachev will put his nine-fight winning streak on the line against the also-streaking Benil Daryush. And I guess my thesis statement is... At lightweight, it's never enough, right? Just ask Tony Ferguson how many wins you need at 55 to get a championship opportunity. So Makachev's got a hugely hard fight now in front of him in February, and if he gets by this one, um, 10 in a row is going to earn him a title fight. Your thoughts on Makachev and Daryush? I think this is an awesome fight. I think that uh, this is going to be a real test for both men. Daryush is, I guess you could argue, the highest-level grappler that Mahashev has faced at this point in his career. So I'm I'm really curious to see uh, how that ground battle goes down. Does Daryush have the ground skills to nullify and perhaps uh, you know go on the attack against someone like Mahashev? Um, I think both men are dangerous on the feet as well. I think Mahashev has some serious power. He's had some good fundamentals on his feet. Uh, Daryush uh, has that I don't give a fuck uh, yes. type of stand up where he'll take you know two or three to give one big bomb. Uh, he has shown his toughness, his chin, his durability in previous fights. I think he's got a ton of momentum and confidence behind him right now. He realizes how big this fight is for him, and I think all the pressure is on Mahashev. So uh, I think Daryush is in a great position here. Awesome fight, and uh, I-, I think well-placed there in the main event in February. Is that right? Yes, I believe February yeah. 26th and well set up by you, and that's why I wanted to get some of your thoughts on it. I believe they're both managed by Ali Abdelaziz, but again, a fight of that magnitude, probably pretty easy to get both sides to agree. Um, I don't know if there's you know title shot language, but that has to be something verbally that was presented yeah. to both sides. If you're Benil Daryush, right? I mean, I think he's won six in a row. If you beat Islam, dude. You're fighting for the belts as well. Yeah, and what a story no that would be, right? When you think about him getting into the UFC and essentially devotes five years of his life to jujitsu, masters that craft in so many words, right? And then moves on to MMA and, uh, you know, had some ups and downs of now bona fide lightweight contender getting Islam Akashev. It's absolutely incredible. I fucking love that fight. Um, and I'll be sitting on my couch watching it like most of uh, the rest of you. All right. To that end, UFC 269 is less than two weeks away. And we're going to spend most of next week's show on it, so I won't go too deep today. Um, Charles Oliveira obviously broke through against Michael Chandler. He is the undisputed UFC lightweight champion. Dustin Poirier, this will be his third championship training camp of 2021. Now, granted, 
The first two were for non-title fights, right? But Dominic Cruz oftentimes has talked about 2016, and he had three 25-minute fights. TJ Dillashaw in January, Uriah Faber in July, Cody Garbrandt in December. Three championship training camps inside of 12 months proved to be too much. Just didn't have it against Garbrandt at the end of the year. And if I am voicing concerns for Dustin Poirier, that is chief among them. It's been a very busy year for Poirier. So busy that some... Chael Sonnen, I believe, and others. No, it wasn't Chael, but some question. I think it was Brett Okamoto, actually, whether or not this belt of Charles Oliveira's would even be on the line again in 2021 because Poirier needed some time off. But this belt was earned in May, and it'll be defended in December. And I think for Dustin, it's asking a lot of himself um, to perform at his peak for a third straight time this year. I, I think it is a lot. Uh, however, I, I think that narrative is going to be different for each and every fighter, right? It's like Dominic Cruz has had some issues staying healthy throughout his career or a little bit later in his career. Um, and, uh, you know, you look at a guy like a GSP and how often he defended the belt um, in, in certain years. And he was preparing for three, sometimes four title fights. I don't know. I could be completely inaccurate on that. But, you know, he, he did it often and stayed quite busy. Uh, and he was training all the time. The dude was a workhorse. I've never seen someone be able to take on that kind of training volume. However, I did see that wear on GSP over time. So it is something to watch for. And I'm curious to see how Dustin Poirier is able to handle that workload uh, over the course of these last 12 months. These are big fights. It takes a lot out of you physically, mentally, spiritually. But... Dustin Poirier, the diamond. They call him the diamond for a reason. Uh, this guy is as durable as they come. Uh, it, it seems like he still gets better, more confident with each and every fight. He's fighting Oliveira, I think, at the right time in his career. Uh, you know, aside from right. being so right. busy this year, I think as far as the skills that he's amassed, the experience that he's amassed at this point, big fight experience. He has more of that than than Oliveira. Okay, so I think this is a fascinating matchup, um, but that could very well play a factor. And uh, I don't know what are the odds right now, John. Dustin's favored, albeit slightly. Well, it depends where you look, but I think in the minus one sixty range. And again, you bring up a lot of important differences between a fighter built like Dustin Poirier and a fighter built like Dominic Cruz. And again, it's not as though those Poirier McGregor fights went very long, juxtaposed right. against Dominic right. Cruz's previous two fights against Dillashaw Faber that both won 25 minutes. And the Dillashaw fight in particular was very physically taxing. So we'll see how it plays out. Poirier's the favorite right now. Charles Oliveira has been off since May and uh, it all goes down at T-Mobile Arena December 11th. Full picks from Ken Flo and Jimmy Krause coming up next Monday here on the Anakin Florian Podcast. All right, Ray Longo coming up in about 60 seconds. But I got to tell you, Ken Flo, every time I get ready to go wheels up for a UFC live event, I get a little anxious about being on all these public Wi-Fis, credit card info, my personal data. Now my Bitcoin has to be protected as well. And thinking about this stuff being stolen gives me almost as much anxiety as showing up on Fight Week behind on my preparation. But thankfully, now I sleep like a baby because we got hooked up with NordVPN. I'm running their technology on all my stuff now so that I'm protected from hackers and scammers no matter where I go in the world. Not only am I protected, but sometimes the sites I use for my gambling advice are a little restricted in certain states or countries. Well, not when I'm using NordVPN. You're given full control of your location so the internet is always open, safe, and accessible. 
possible for you. And I know you Anakin Florian podcast listeners know what I'm talking about when it comes to internet privacy. So let us help you out. It is Cyber Monday today, and NordVPN is going to give you up to 73% off, plus a free bonus gift. When you go to NordVPN.com slash AFPod or use the promo code AFPod when you sign up. Almost three-fourths of the price off a subscription, 73% or 30% better than Jose Aldo landed when he fought Ken Flo 10 years ago. 30-day money-back guarantee if NordVPN is not for you, so there is no risk. And, of course, you are helping the podcast as well, so we can keep all of this content free forever. So head on over to NordVPN.com slash AFPod for more information. That is NordVPN.com slash AFPod. Or hit up our social channels and click through the links for that Cyber Monday deal of 73% off today and keep your data safe. Some guy that does not have to worry about his data is Ray Longo. Can barely work a fucking computer. Let's get to Ray. <laughs> it's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. What up, Ray? Oh, man. The hell are we doing? The star of the program. Oh, yeah. You are. Oh, yeah. I hope Krause is happy because I'm a mess. I hope Krause is happy. So is fucking cameras suck, man. Is the new is the new time slot not working out for you? No, it's actually better, I think. All right, so twelve thirty p.m. Eastern is better. It's actually good. How are we feeling, guys? I feel like we're feeling good. So you're just you're just you're just having fun with Krause, right? You're not really. Oh no, hundred percent. I love Krause. Happy Thanksgiving. It's great to see. Wait, wait. First of all, I like everybody. When I'm busting balls, I'm busting. No, I know. I know. uh, I'm hoping it's funny to people. But of course, hundred percent. Right. Like you and I love each other, but I think if people listen to the podcast, they might think at times that we don't. No, I don't think they would ever think that. Uh, Well, sometimes people take issue with as soon as. As you get off the air, I take a shot, and you're not here to defend yourself. And you can be sure I'm going to do it again today. <laughs> I but wait, see, that's what I mean. I want you to do it, right? So, um, we're, we're trying to deliver content, John. Exactly, you know that yet. free content. So, how was your Thanksgiving in terms of content? Uh, it was good. It was really good. Yeah, I yeah. went to my sister-in-law's and I visited a friend, Joe Spinelli, bought a beautiful house over in Laurel Hollow. Uh, so we had a great time over there. And uh, yeah, it was good. How about you guys? Yeah, no, all good. Kempflo, were you in Charlotte for Thanksgiving? I was. I was. Uh, you know, my wife's family was here for Thanksgiving. Had a bunch of kids and dogs here at the house. It was nice. a madhouse. It was a madhouse. And Just... I ate like a complete pig. But here we are. I'll tell you that hair is in place though, buddy. I can't can't get my hair to stay down. I don't know what's happening. You guys could probably talk off the air about some hair products and Kenny. I'll help you out, Ray. Thank you, Kenny. Hey, if you have any hair product uh, people out there, you want to say it to Ray Longo. It's worked every time. Anything I mention, I tell them to send it to Ray. They send it. So wait, John, how how did yeah, John, how did you how did you avoid when I was in Florida? That's what I want to know. Well, you were way south of me, and the timing was a little bit tricky, if memory serves. But you were about 45 minutes south of me. And, um, yeah, but I got your message the day after when you said lunch or dinner on me because I don't pass up free meals. You know what I'm saying? you're pretty south. Where the hell – Ray, where were you? Cuba? 45 minutes. Yeah, right. Exactly, Kenny. Exactly. Jeez. He's all the way in the tip. He's at the very end of Florida. I don't get it. How more more south could he be? Yeah, he told me he was close to Lauderdale. That's where I was. 
Yeah, it was about four. I'm, I'm in I'm in West Boca Raton. If you want, I can give okay. out the address too. But I am uh, well, I, I am I... 45 minutes north of Miami, maybe 30 minutes north of Fort Lauderdale. But no, I think I don't know. I went across the state for vacation. But anyway, we we I I what we really need to do is is the three of us uh, at some point get together in a non podcast environment. I mean, we've never yes. sat down and broken bread the three of us. You know, not one time. This is so. true. I, I'm living for that. But anyway, listen. Before I even get going, I want to yeah. shout out to uh, Dr. Tony Ricci and his friends over at uh, the Fight Fight Science Lab at Nova Southeastern. What a great facility oh, yeah. they have. And uh, yeah, Dr. Jose Antonio, Dr. Talvin Silva, Dr. Corey Peacock. They're doing a great job. And I'm one of those guys. Like you know, I don't want too much analysis. It's like paralysis by analysis. Right. So, but they really, Tony's really, really entrenched in the fight game. I worked with him for years, and he he really knows how to transfer and explain everything over. But you guys ever get a chance, John? You would love that that uh, facility. They could test everything possible over there. It's, it's yeah. phenomenal. I am overdue uh, to connect with Tony, especially now that he's in South Florida. Uh, all right, a couple items with uh, with Raymond Longo today. I don't know if you had anything for us on the Ketlin Vieta Misha Tate main event that happened a couple of weeks ago. I think Misha was very uh, accurate in terms of her own self-assessment, you know, that she doesn't have to panic wrestle anymore, right? I mean, she certainly has developed her skills, and I do think she can make a run, uh, but this was Ketlin Vieta's night. I don't know if you had anything for us on that. Uh, yeah, I thought, you know, like, again, you know, there's people that take time off, and they come back, and they're a little older, and they don't look that good. I thought Misha looked good. She just ran into, like, a bigger, stronger person. Right. Uh, who's, you know, on the way up. But I thought Misha had a great account of herself. I really did. And I, I agree with her assessment. It didn't look like she was going to panic shoot or she was in a rush to get anywhere. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think the moment that killed me the most was after the fight when Caitlin Vieira was just crying because I, I really believe she probably idolized her growing up. And that's a that's a really bad thing when you beat the crap out of your idol you know what i mean you don't want to do it but you know it's part of the game that 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 last piece when she was crying telling misha tate i'm sorry uh that that got to me man and i and i i get it i i get it i think we see it a lot in sports where you know the guys up and coming guys who they idolize even in boxing whatever it is and then they have to go in and you know the the person they idolize is kind of on the way out and they have to you know do what they have to do that that's what i saw but i thought Misha did a great job. I think she's, uh, I don't know. I like what I saw. You know, is it enough to get it to the championship? You know, look, she could always submit anybody. So she's got that going. And if she could stay healthy, I mean, look, things change when you have a kid. And, you know, she did get pretty lumped up. Uh, and, you know, sometimes, you know, your priorities are, uh, different. I talk to these guys as they're getting older. Their health, their health becomes their first priority. Yeah, you know, and these are guys that are tough motherfuckers coming up, man. And they just say, you know what, man, enough is enough. It's been 15 years, 16 years, whatever it's been. They gotta just move on with their life. But uh, I thought, I thought she had a great account of herself. And uh, hats off to Caitlin Vieira. I thought she was just classy as you could be in a, in a victory. 
And I do think, generally speaking, and I've said it repeatedly, if you are a combat sports athlete and you can wait to have children until either late in your career or yes. it's over, cannot recommend that enough. I know, Kenny, obviously you did not have kids while you were fighting, and you and I, Kenny, both waited until we were a little bit older to have kids. But, like, I sit here right now on a Monday. I'm going to Vegas to call Rob Font and Jose Aldo. And if I had zero kids, the whole fucking show would be prepared already. You know what I mean? <laughs> so never mind if I'm an athlete trying to get in sleep and three a days and everything else. And, uh, uh, you know, I know Misha is finding a good balancing act. And again, she's the one pushing out the babies, which no male fighter can lay claim to. I'm just saying it's really hard to balance all of those things, no well, matter your career, but especially as a fighter. Kim. It, it's yeah. only hard if you want to be a good parent. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you, you don't want to be a good parent, it's fine. It's, it's, it's not a problem. Yeah, but I, a I tell you, I'm going to go with another step. Because obviously <laughs> I, I've been there, but Kenny's, Kenny's right, man. I tell you, that's the uh, he, he's a hundred percent right. I was, I'll go another route. I was lucky enough to have a great wife that really did everything. So when I was traveling and I was traveling a lot, I always felt great. I always tried to make it up. And I, I look again, I don't even know if I did a good job. I think I, I tried to, I a hundred percent was aware of it, cognizant, and I tried. But Kenny's right, so if you really want to be a good parent, man, you got to be present. That's that's just the bottom line, uh, and uh. You know, uh, I think there's other ways around it, but I think that's where Matt's at in his life now, man. He just wants to spend time with his kids, man. That's part yeah. of the whole thing. And, yeah. you know, it, there's, there's, there's things that exist outside of fighting, right? And calling the fights and everything else. But you get one shot at doing that family thing right, and uh, you better think about it because it's, it's definitely not easy. And I think for some of us, fathers and mothers, it's self-inflicted guilt, right? Like my wife has never given me shit for right. not changing a diaper, no pun intended. But I put guilt on myself when I'm not meeting her halfway. Like my best friend um, who coined the phrase, yo, later, Brian Montgomery, love him, right? Never changed a diaper in his life. Like yeah. he's an average father. He's a pretty good father, you know? <laughs> if he listens to this, he's going to kill me, right? But like he coaches the hockey teams. He's a doting dad, but omnipresent wouldn't be the first adjective that I would use. And when he goes off to Maine for a weekend, he does so free of guilt. He's not putting any guilt on himself. And I know for me and Kenny, and I'm sort of putting this on him a little bit, but I know for us when we're away, you know, we come back, we feel this great need to contribute and perhaps overcompensate for the time we've missed, you know? Exactly. So. And just, just to your point, John, I never changed the diaper either. The first not one time, in your life. I Maybe one. Isn't that, I don't know. It, so it's a little bit of a generational thing though. I think Kenny, right? Because yeah, no, that's I, true. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you, the first time my wife left me with the kids, I called my one friend who had kids, Chris, the senior <laughs> say, dude, you want to want to hang out? He came over. I made him change the diapers. I swear. Yeah. I'm not even joking around. <laughs> yeah. I was so happy to come over. I said, you know how to change a diaper. Cause this ain't my thing, man. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, when they're tiny little alien babies, uh, that is the worst thing. But it is funny, right? Because I do think if you talk to a lot of men born in the 50s and 60s, they didn't change a lot of diapers. If you talk to men born in the 70s, 80s, and 90s who have become parents, I think a lot of those guys changed diapers. I think it has changed a lot. I think the traditional gender roles have, have gone by the boards. No, you're smirking at me, Longo. Things are it, things are changing in this yeah. world, John. <laughs> Chivalry is dead or no, you, Ray? I yeah, don't know. you guys are you guys are giving in. Can you hold to your ground? <laughs> don't change a diaper. I, I right. I, this, you know what this. else never happened? You were never in the delivery room either. They have to torture you with that now. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? You never 
You never yeah. want to look at that thing when a baby's coming out. You'll never be the same, John. Yeah. You got to keep the, you got to keep that picture of that JJ just really <laughs> tight in your mind. Man. Okay. I don't want to see a head popping out. Ah, that's it, funny. Cannot see it. Cannot see it. Yeah. A generation of weak-minded men trying to stay hard out here, changing that. <laughs> so I have that a deli- few. What about the delivery room when you get that girl that's cursing out her husband? You motherfucker! Oh, yeah, right. I swear right. to God, I I was it's not even your room. baby, probably. Right? Oh yeah, I was like, I remember looking at my wife again. Hey, listen, you try that in there. I'm killing huh. everybody in the room. I'm telling you, this guy was getting slaughtered, John. Slaughtered. Oh, oh like, What? You know, I'm on no sleep, so it's uh, even worse. Yeah. Well, this is not what I had uh, earmarked for the Ray Long oh. minute today, but a couple of things I did want to talk yeah. about. Justin Montalvo. Oh, but this week. Spike. Yeah, right. I did my homework. Thank I did my you. research. You've dropped his name 23 times in the history of the podcast. So really? I figured we would give him a shout out. He's fighting this weekend. Is that right? That's right. Bellator. Bellator, did you say? Bellator. Bellator, okay. So he's Tomato, got a fight Tomato. this weekend. What can you tell us about that? Uh, man, he's always ready to fight. He's always in the gym. Uh, he's three and oh, got a, I think he's three and oh with three knockouts, three finishes, uh, great hands, great takedown defense. He's looking good. Really, really I feel good. Like you started talking about him on these airwaves when he was an amateur. So I did want to give Justin a little yeah, shout and, out there. And he's been in the gym since he's 15, right? He's one of those guys. So everybody's yeah. pulling for him. He's great kid. Great, great dad. Dad'll do anything for him. Uh Ernie Montalvo, shout out to him because I'll tell you without him, that kid's we don't know, know where he is. Wow. But uh everything's going good now. So I'm, I'm stoked. I'm leaving Wednesday night and um uh, really happy for this guy. Where are the fights? Uh Connecticut. Oh, okay. All right. So it's not All there. right. Last order of business, and then time permitting, we'll get a prediction from you on Rob Font and Jose Aldo coming up this weekend. So Ally Quinta has Seemingly retired from mixed martial arts, or at least has hinted as much publicly. Um, I apologize for not crediting the interview. Um, did you get a chance to digest any of Ally Quinta's comments um, about his fighting future? Yeah, no, I've, I've talked to Al, man. I think uh, he's had enough, man. I think he was scheduled for ACL surgery December 2nd, but he's going to go to uh, columbia to try to stem cells you know before but uh he he's just banged up man and it's uh i think it just finally caught up to him even mentally you know because you could be banged up but mentally still being there. i said this is the first time uh he's he's pretty banged up mentally i love the guy the guy will always be a warrior but uh i don't think that's that fight was indicative of anything we've seen of ally Aquinta in the last 15 years Right. Is that something that you saw coming a little bit, maybe leading up to that fight or in that camp where you said, hey, Al's not putting forth maybe the same kind of effort or his energy is off? Was that something that you maybe you, you saw a little bit? Yeah, well, he, he couldn't, you know, and I, I but we came yeah. to the agreement like, listen, let's try to get to the fight healthy. You know how to fight. You know what I mean? Do what you have to do. But there were days where he'd have to take two or three days off, which in a fight camp is an eternity. Uh, but then he would feel good, and I would feel happy about that. And, uh, 
you know, it is what it is. I, I honestly, I mean, he's been pretty open with it, but I, I don't really want to take one iota away from Bobby Green. Think the guy's a fucking great fighter and a great person. I really like Bobby a lot. So, I mean, I, I think I don't want this talk to diminish sure. what he did either. Because of course, if Bobby Green wasn't good. I would have, you know, would have been, you know, Bobby Green was part of the problem. He's very good, right. <laughs> and he was very accurate and fast. And you're right. This fight was the outlier in Ally Quintus' yeah, career. Yeah, without a doubt. And if you're talking about his legacy, right, I would just point to to three things, okay? The Ultimate Fighter Live came off the Ultimate Fighter Live in 2012. Obviously, that was the one season that I worked, so I feel a special bond to those athletes. I Quinta could not even walk to the octagon barely when he fought Michael Chiesa in yes. that final fight. It was at the end of 13 weeks. I give him a lot of credit for even fighting that night. Yeah. The Jorge Masvidal win in Virginia um, when he said to the crowd, are you guys booing me? Fuck you, right? I mean, <laughs> probably the greatest or one of the top three post-fight interviews that I've ever uh, been involved with. And then, of course, fighting Habib Nurmagomedov for 25 minutes on, on 24 hours notice, right? And And – putting a pretty good showing of himself forward that night. So uh, I'll always think of those three things with, uh, with Ally Quinta. He's, he's a lost man. He's a character. There's no doubt. Yeah. And I think those three things definitely define him for various reasons, but how long ago was that, that ultimate fighter show? 2012. Yeah. So 2012 and he couldn't walk. So really things didn't get a lot better even after that. He had a great career, but he had to struggle through a lot of shit. He's a tough motherfucker. And uh, I'd watch that guy rehab every day, like right. doing the same right. shit. And yeah. I think if I if I was as diligent with my rehab, I'd be walking perfect. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's he just put the time in just on rehab alone. Just yeah. You know, watched him with the bands every day, and then was always going uh, once or twice a week to uh, Staten Island to uh, uh, fight science live. No, that's not. Uh, Whatever, whatever the place in Staten, I holy crumb. I'm drawing a blank, and a guy who owns this great guy, I can't even think. Hopefully, he doesn't listen to the show, but (laughs) he probably does. Man, I gotta start. I gotta, I gotta get on that alpha brain as quick as possible. No, you need to start smoking weed. You don't understand. (laughs) No, that's what happened. I think I started smoking weed. (laughs) I can't remember a thing. Are you kidding? That made it worse. I have to stop. Hey, before I let you go, I'm really excited to get back to work this weekend. Yeah. Um, and it's Rob Font and Jose Aldo. And, you know, this is a special fight. Obviously, we got a Massachusetts kid on one side trying to potentially secure his first UFC title shot. And then the king of Rio de Janeiro, Jose Aldo, who is probably the most respected fighter by his fellow fighters on the roster right now. Font is a slight favorite, minus 150. Ray, what do you have for us on the main event in the division in which you train and coach the champion? <laughs> and that, that's a five rounder five rounds if needed yeah i think that's gonna that's the benefit to font is that i think in a three round fight jose aldo has been looking phenomenal you know what i mean but uh he's got another two rounds to finish uh i'm gonna go with Font. he's got great boxing uh i think jose aldo also has great boxing it's gonna be a great fight i just hope that font it's almost like the misha tate caitlin Vieira. I'm sure he idolized Jose Aldo. Now he's got to face this guy. He's still good. Uh, he's going to have to put all that stuff past him and just go in what he does best, which is, you know, put on a boxing clinic against a guy that could box. So I, that's going to be a great fight. I think the five rounds favors Font. And I'm going to I'm going to go with Font in this fight. 
Look at Longo, ready to go on a Monday. And you're absolutely right. There is a comparison to be drawn between the Vieta Tate thing. Yeah, those things I don't know if, if Font put Aldo on that pedestal per se. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is the fight. This is the guy, the famous guy. You got to get yeah. past if you're going to become a world champion. So. Yeah, All right, so, in that uh, Iquinta podcast, call me Al if you do want to listen and follow uh, Iquinta's exploits after fighting. Anything else before we let you fly? You do need some fucking pomade on that lettuce. Oh, huh? man, I, dude, I put I could put anything in here. It just sucks it right up. Kenny, help me. Some Valvoline or something up what there, do I right? Do? So I must be taking something that's making my hair grow like <laughs> I just got it's a the- cut last week. It's just crazy. But uh, wait, I want to give a shout out to Anthony Delemi. He won a local uh, title at uh, Bobby Campbell's Jack Hammer Promotions. They do a great job, him and Josh. They have a great little venue over at Mulcahy's. Uh, we also had Mike Curio. He looks like the next uh, Kane Velasquez to me. It's his first wow. fight. He came through submission first round. Uh, Zach, um, I think Zach Lowe is his name, trained by the Manimal in here. He did great. And who am I missing? Oh. Uh, Johnny. Uh, of course. I, of course. I mean, you ain't yeah. gonna forget Johnny. Yeah, John, Johnny <laughs> Sal- Salomon. He uh, Johnny he had three Sal- round decision. So we had we went four and zero, which was great. We had a Sunday that? night. What was that? I said, "How about that?" No, that's great. Yeah, yeah. and that's yeah. it. That's my plugs for the day. Come well, on, that's what great, else man. we got? No, and well, it's great to see you. No, I mean, <laughs> Info got his blue Porsche fixed up all nice. It's driving. Did. Uh, did. Do you have a Porsche? I do. Yeah, an older that, one. I, an I older one. Nineteen ninety. I gotta tell you, I haven't seen those cars in a while. That was the that yeah. was the shit back in the day, man. Yeah. I love those yeah. Porsches. Yeah. Thank you. Remember the Porsche Carreras, the glasses? Exactly. Oh, at the big ones? Absolutely. Kemfo can talk cars. He's not going to indulge you and me in this conversation. <laughs> you can be sure. Hey, go get some pomade. Uh, next week's a big, big week. Obviously, a big pay per view week. So we will talk to you next Monday. But um, it's great to see you, brother. Happy Thanksgiving. And um, you know, I got more Christmas spirit than probably any Jew on the planet. So I'm, I'm excited <laughs> that the holiday season is here. We're all God's people under the sun, buddy. Right. No, don't don't break of, it down to Jewish, Catholic. You're making a mistake. No, I'm just saying I didn't grow up with like Christmas trees and everything. So I married a Polish Catholic woman. And now it's like <laughs> my kids have to listen to Christmas carols from November 15th on. And that's just the What is the great holiday, there. though, John? Isn't it a great holiday? Enjoy it. It's the best. They'll probably yeah. cancel it next year. So enjoy it this year. <laughs> right. Seriously. Get, get his most yeah. out. That's what I'm doing. I'm going crazy this Christmas because oh, I love it. Next, be year, next year. Who yeah. knows what we'll be celebrating? I will say though, right? And I know you got to go, but the no, those I'm, people I'm who who criticize other people for like listening to holiday music like too early, as if you don't have anything better to do in your life than complain about when somebody chooses to start listening to that music, right? Like once Sirius XM puts that holiday channel 105, like I'm in. And if they yeah. do it on November 20th, great. But imagine being, you know, such a low rider, such a bottom feeder, right? That you be like, why are they listening to holiday music in November? It's like, why do you give a shit? No, <laughs> I don't. Just wow. be happy. Can we all just happy. be happy? Hey. Huh? All right. Yeah, we can all, all be happy. Hey, we'll talk to you next Monday, huh? Take great day. Better day. Ray, Ray. I'll talk yeah. to you. Take care. There he is. Ray Longo Minute. Every Monday here on the Anakin Florian podcast, maybe not the best minute in the history, uh, 
But next time I Quince is not training for a fight, maybe tell us, Ray, so we can bet on Bobby Green. You know, no, <laughs> totally kidding. Love both of those guys. Quickly want to get to the pronunciation of the week, and then we'll get to the great James Krause. So this fighter, as we welcome on Cody Merrow, it's good to see you, kid. What's up, Bones? What's up, What's up, what's up Bones? Bones? How you doing? Yeah, yeah, good, yeah. good. To the moon, baby. Let's go. Buy the dip. Oh. Let's go. Yeah. Look at that hat. Old Bitcoin hat. Is that what that is? Or no, I've had this hat before. I had this point. That's hat when Bitcoin was like a thousand dollars. Should have yeah, bought yeah. Bitcoin instead of his hat. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Moving on. Rocket, the pronunciation the of the emoji hat. All right. So, so this fighter, right, once walked out to Baby Shark. He was to fight Matt Brown this weekend, but Matt Brown got COVID nineteen and is not competing. So, as of now, this man doesn't have an opponent, but he does have a surname that is mispronounced by a lot of people. So, Cody Merrill, of whom are we speaking? That is Brian Barberina. Brian Barberina. All right. Let's hear. Brian Barberina. Brian Barberina. Brian Barberina. Yeah. Brian Barberina. Not all athletes are as good a sport as uh, Brian Barberina. Ken Flo, sometimes when we have the athletes, and that's a win, Cody, excellent job. When Barberina. we have the athletes slow down Columbia, their actually. names. Sometimes it can make the process more confusing. I've talked at length about this with MMA yeah. junkies John Morgan, but in this instance, when he slows it down, you clearly hear it is Barbarina and not Barbarena, as he has been called for much of his uh, his UFC career. So right, there and, and and I like that they're not going to do the breakdown. It'd be like if I'm I am Kenny Florian, you know, I'm Kenny Florian. It's totally different. Yeah. Yeah. Your name can really and and like DC, right? We call him Cormier, but if you listen to his file, uh, it's like Cormier. Yikes! All right, we got a big show coming up this weekend. Fans are excited, obviously. Ooh. After UFC was dark last Saturday, it is UFC Fight Night Font versus Aldo. Let's get to the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. And the time is most definitely now. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. Oh, there he is. Main event challenge backed by popular demand. At the James Krause on social media. UFC coach to the stars, James Krause. Great to see you, brother. How are you? I'm good, man. Just getting off the mats. Just got beat up for 25 minutes straight. And right. you know, that's how it goes uh, sometimes. So pro practice is in the can. And now we're going to get this Florian podcast in the can. Uh, quick update on how you guys did. Again, ever since Krauss joined the show, you've both been in the black every single week. So Kenny did win the week, albeit slightly. Um, James Krauss, you were above 500 as well, plus $260. Um, you missed on Kiesa and Misha Tate, but you did say you would pass on betting Michael Kiesa. So shouldn't really dock you there. Um, but a good week for both of you nonetheless, and we will begin our selections for this weekend. Middleweight, Brendan Allen, minus 365. The favorite here is he looks to move to 6-1 and one in the UFC against Chris Curtis. Chris Curtis, James, plus 280, making the quick turn after that big knockout of Phil Hawes earlier this month. How do you see this one playing out, brother? I got to tell you guys, I'm a, I'm a big I'm a big Brendan Allen fan, and uh, I, I feel like the, his last fight against uh, Soriano uh, Puna was yeah. his coming out party, you know, like I thought, I thought that fight was going to give him some big problems. I really did. And I'm a fan of both of those guys. And I'll be honest with you. I thought that fight was going to give Brennan some problems and uh man, I was wrong. He looked incredible. Uh, 
you know, I, I know a couple people were like questioning his his uh, chin after the Strickland fight, and man, he took some big shots from Puna. Really answered all the questions that we had about him, in my opinion, right? And uh, I, I I have to lean Brendan Allen on this. Like, I I I think he's gonna finish here. I could see a submission. Um, it depends on what he decides to do if he strikes. I could definitely see it going the distance, but uh, if if Allen decides to grapple, uh, I, I think he'll finish Curtis on the ground, but. Uh, you know, obviously, Curtis has got some power, but I think Brandon's overall game, hes I think he's better on the ground. He's better striking. I think he's got a more complete game, more ways to win the fight. And uh, I, the only way I see Curtis winning is if he knocks him out. Allen showed his durability in the in the last fight. I just don't see it happening. Uh, his volume's a little too low for me. I really like Brandon Allen in this fight a lot. I think you set it up well. I have a lot of similar thoughts when it comes to Brennan Allen and that matchup with Puna, obviously, because a lot of us here on this show think highly of Puna Hele Soriano. Brennan Allen, Kenny, I don't know if he's number 17 in the world, but he's certainly on the cusp of the top 15. He's not ranked right now. Um, how do you see him handling this Chris Curtis challenge this weekend? Yeah, listen, I, I think Chris Curtis showed that he he can be dangerous, obviously hits very hard, but I agree with a lot of what James said. I, I think it was pretty spot on with everything. I, I think that Chris doesn't throw enough. He doesn't put together consistent combinations to be that much of a threat from what we've seen anyway. Brennan Allen, you look at his last fight, the way he put it all together, this is a guy who's now really feeling himself. He understands his weapons. He knows what to use, when to use it. It's all coming together at the right time. And I think that potential that we saw early on is now kind of uh, being realized here. Uh, Brennan Allen uh, should win that fight. And he's even learned in some wins against Kyle Dawkins, maybe uh, got tested more than he thought he would that night. So uh, a lot of people here bullish on Brendan Allen. We'll see how it goes for him against Chris Curtis. All right. Also on the main card, a bout that got a two-month delay, initially scheduled for October 2nd, 14 versus 13 in the light heavyweight division. Jimmy Crute minus 180 and Jamal Hill plus 155. So James, Crute is back for the first time since that foot drop incident uh, against Anthony Smith at UFC 261 in April. Still just 20 five years old and obviously has shown a lot of promise he's favored here against Jamal Hill uh yeah yeah I listen I like Jimmy Crude a lot um there, there's a couple things that scare me in this matchup I feel like uh as the fight progresses I like Crude more and more but dude Jamal Hill is an animal for for around around and a half and I'm not saying he's bad after that but like his best work is done inside the first five minutes in my opinion and uh if Crute uh, fights a smart fight, I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna uh, take this fight to the ground. And uh, if if I'm Jimmy Crute or if I'm Jimmy Crute's coach, I say, hey, listen, let's go out, let's get a hold of his body, put him on the fence in round one, really settle him into the fight, and uh, take that open mat explosive striking away a little bit. Just take the danger factor down, right? Because as the fight right. plays out, the danger factor will get less and less on the Jamal Hill side, to where Crute is uh, by far the superior grappler, superior wrestler, but at range Hill can knock anybody out, you know? So, uh, I, I, I have to lean Jimmy Crude. I think he's got more ways to win this fight. Sometimes his volume is a little low for my liking. Uh, and sometimes he, he, uh, I don't want to say he doesn't fight smart, but sometimes it takes him a minute to, to, to kick in. Like he has to get hit first. Sometimes I don't like that yeah. in this fight. I don't like sure. that at all. I sure. am going to take uh Jimmy Crude in this, in this fight. I think he is going to get it done. I think he's going to fight smart. Um, and I, I don't know if I see this one going the distance or not. I could see I could see a, a knockout by Hill in round one uh, or submission by Crute in, in the later rounds. But I am going to take Jimmy Crute in this fight. All right. James Krause likes Jimmy Crute. Jamal Hill, Ken Flo, 
30 years old, has also shown a lot of promise in his own right and showed a lot of toughness in not tapping out against Paul Craig. Some valuable experience gained that night as well. Your thoughts on Hill and Crude here, big fight at 205. Uh, listen, another great breakdown by James. I think that, um, you know, for Jamal, he's going to be very dangerous on the feet and he's going to be very dangerous early on. Uh, you know, his length, his ability to put together good combinations, sharp strikes, accurate strikes might be a problem for Jimmy, who sometimes makes it um, a, a, a tough man uh, battle out there at times. Anyway, early, earlier in his career, we, we saw that. So he's got to be careful just getting into trading battles with someone like Hill. Otherwise, it could be over quickly. Jimmy is a sharp striker himself, but he has to make sure um, that he's staying self. Uh, staying uh, staying defensively sound himself throughout those exchanges. But l like James said, the easiest path to victory here is via the takedown. Get Jamal to the ground where he can, you know, land some gr uh, ground and pound from superior positioning and possibly lock up a submission. You know, that's where we saw Hill uh, falter in his last fight, even though he was on top. Uh, Craig, of course, phenomenal from his guard, was attacking nonstop. Uh, but I think that Jimmy, if he does get on top, get him to, to the mat, uh, he'll have a, uh, you know, a much better advantage uh, throughout the fight if he's able to do that consistently round after round. So I like Jimmy Crute here as well. All right, big fight. Excited to call it. Next one also fairly large at lightweight 41-year-old Leonardo Santos competing for the second time in a calendar year for the first time since 2015. James, you know this guy well. Obviously, he was knocked out by your guy Grant Dawson in March, and remarkably, that was his first UFC loss. Here, he's a minus-195 favorite against the still-not-yet-40 Clay Guida. What do you think, James? Who wins, Guida or Santos? I got to be honest with you. This one scares me a little bit. Um, I mean, all the indicators would would point to to Santos winning this fight, right? Like his takedown defense is extremely underrated and still really good. You know, uh, his takedown defense. If Dawson can't get you down, you know what I mean? Like Grant got him down. Right, at the, right. It took him, I think, you know, twelve and a half minutes or whatever to get him down. Man, Dawson can wrestle, and uh, I know it's a little different, but I I could see Guida just like outworking him out voluming uh voluming him and uh i, I do think santos is going to win this fight but but he's he's getting older his volume is starting to drop a little bit his cardio isn't once what it was i don't see guida getting him down but i could just see like you know how you have that little uh and i, I don't mean any disrespect to to clay it's just the analogy that came up to me that you know the little chihuahua that's like Arr! <laughs> this in and out like i can see clay you know he's won fights doing that before and i i love clay by the way like I, it's not right. any disrespect no, to him. of course of course i could see, i could see him in and out uh you know take down back up take down back up just out working santos i could see that happening um i like santos's power i like his takedown defense i like his submission danger uh I don't like his volume. I don't like the uh, the age, even though I'm sure they're probably similar. Clay does not fight like he's as right, his right. age, uh, and 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 I, I just, I'm gonna I'm gonna lean Santos, but I don't I'm not I don't I don't feel great about it. You know what I mean? Like right. I'm not like I could see Guida, you know, just picking at him and scoring points and you know doing what Clay does, you know. But I, I am gonna take Santos here. The question is, will I be dropping your Chihuahua analogy on live television? On <laughs> Please, don't. Please don't. He's got to be ready. 
bloodyelbow.com is going to be like James Krause calls Clay Guida in old chihuahua. <laughs> yeah, are you ready for that? Are you ready for that title, uh, James? No, nah, Clay okay. knows better. Clay knows right. better. I'll, I'll, I'll text him and tell him, other. I love Clay. And he's beaten so many people like that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I didn't mean it in a, in a obviously no, you guys know course. this, but dude, how many, know, how many yeah. people has he done that to though? I think it's a perfect analogy, and that's why I'm probably going to have no choice but to use it on the air. I think it's All right, fair. you got it. That's your, that's your take. <laughs> and we have so much love for Clay Guida on this broadcast, despite the fact that he is immortalized, getting choked, nearly unconscious, oh, gosh. right behind him. All right, little history on this fight, because it's interesting for me and Ken Flo. We called Santos's UFC debut together in Fortaleza in 2013. You got the history with Clay Guida. You fought him in 2009. It was UFC 107. Absolutely destroyed him as, of course, is immortalized on the wall behind you. Um, but Guida's fought 21 times in the UFC since you fought him. 32nd UFC appearance for Clay Guida, who turns 40 four days after the fight. How do you handicap his chances here against Leonardo Santos, Ken Flo? Yeah, this is a tough one to break down, James. I agree. You know, Leonardo Santos was like one of the guys that I really looked up to in the jiu-jitsu world for a long time, was one of the guys who brought – a lot of popularity to the butterfly guard back in the day, just one of the Novo Uniao black belt legends for sure. And now uh, has had success here in the UFC as well and made great strides with his striking, uh, you know, since we called his debut. Uh, and Clay is an absolute savage uh, and a guy who, if you're not able to get his rhythm, he's going to give you a problem, man. He moves weird. He's unorthodox. He'll hit you from weird angles. You know, he'll keep you guessing with his takedowns and things like that. And his work rate is his durability is second to none. So this is a very difficult fight. Leonardo Santos, we see him fade sometimes. Um, you know, he can go from landing the sickest combinations and having the best round to uh, looking lost uh, in, in the next round and, and kind of out of it and not focused. So he's going to have to be extremely focused because what we do know is that Clay Guida is going to be in his face for every second of, of every round. And you know what? I kind of like the underdog here. I think Leonardo Santos probably has more ways to win. However, I think Clay Guida is the more consistent guy. And uh, I'm going to go with Clay here for the upset. Just like a little fucking chihuahua, right? Barking in your face all night. You just can't exactly. get away from it, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Unbelievable. And I, thought, I thought he won that last fight against Mark Madsen. I thought I did it was real too. close, but I I, if too. I'm being honest, I thought he beat Madsen. So, you know, he's too. he's had some tough decisions go the other way. Yeah. All right. Co-main event. What a matchup it is at lightweight. Rafael Fazeev, minus 120. Brad Riddell is the even money underdog. We'll take the round and the method of victory, fellas, if you do have it. So Fazeev has won four in a row since he got knocked out in his UFC debut by Magomed Mustafaev. Last win certainly tested against Bobby Green. That was UFC 265 in August. And he is a slight favorite here against the man, Brad Riddell. James Krause, who do you have? This is another tough one. Um, I, I will say this. The play that I like here is the over. I love the over here. Um, both these guys are extremely durable. Uh, I, I What I see happening is I, I think Fazib is going to win a very close decision. Uh, for me, the play the play is going to be is the over, though, and I don't see Fazib finishing uh, Riddell. I could potentially see Riddell finishing Fazib by knockout. But Riddell has just shown, oh, my goodness, like, how durable is this guy? Like, I mean, he's just extremely durable. I do think Fazib is the cleaner, better kickboxer, though. And uh, I, I don't think he's going to get knocked out here. Um, but but for me, the play is the over on this one. Uh, and yeah. then maybe sprinkle Fazib by decision. 
uh, and and if you guys are feeling froggy, Riddell by knockout was a little a little play there too, you know. Uh, yeah. But I, I, I'm gonna go with uh, Fazeev by decision. I think it's a close fight, but for me, the play is the over, or right. or even the fight goes the distance if if the odds should be better on that. Right. And again, a lot of those propositions, round props are out now. They will all be out later in the week of that, I can assure you. And that would be one of my biggest plays of the week. I don't know the odds yet, so the props usually come out a couple of days uh, before the fights. But at face value, the over in that fight, I, I got to think that it's going to be low because they're both heavy hitters, right? Like, So I got to think it's going to be fairly low, uh, good odds for us. Um, right. But I really like the over in that, in that fight. Not only do I like the over, I like it to go the distance. All right, no total yet as of this taping, but uh, that will be updated on our social channels later in the week. Kenny, Brad Riddell has had to deal with a lot, as has been the case for a lot of our athletes based in Australia and New Zealand. He's been displaced from his child extensively, right? Dan Hooker has gotten a lot of that shine, but Riddell and others have had to deal with hell. You know, yep. he's had fights go away at the last minute, right? The Gregor Gillespie fight, um, but yet still is performing. He's 4-0 in the UFC and ranked now after dominating Drew Dober. That was UFC 263 back in June. Your thoughts on Riddell here in a huge spot against Rafael Fazi. Yeah, and lost a teammate, um, you know, as did yes. all those guys over at City Kickboxing. So, yeah, he is in a tough spot, and I think that's something to consider. Something else to consider, however, is the fact that Brad Riddell was the Muay Thai coach for Rafael Faziv, uh, apparently, at one point. They trained a lot in Thailand. Um, I wonder if there's a big brother-type uh, equation there where, you know, if you're fighting a coach or a guy who has been a mentor – where you could be kind of playing second fiddle out there. So I, I wonder if that's going to be a factor. I, I think that both men are phenomenal strikers. Um, and because it's so close here, not, not that I gain any extra points necessarily, I don't think, but I, I kind of like the underdog here. I, I like Riddell. Um, I think Fazeev is a big-time problem, but so is Riddell. He's as durable as they come. I don't think grappling is going to be um, you know, thrown into the equation here. These guys are standing on their feet and going to see who the better striker is. Um, I, I could see it going either way, but uh, I I'm just going to lean with, with the underdog here uh, just because of the odds. Riddell by decision, Kenflo? Yes, sir. All right. All right, main event. I don't pre-screen these, so I have no idea – on which side these fellas fall. Rob Font, minus 150. Jose Aldo, plus 130. So Aldo gets the blue corner here based upon ranking, but of course, in most equations, he is the A side. Not favored here, though, James. Rob Font gets that distinction, having won his last four, and all of them quality wins, right? Sergio Pettis, Ricky Simone, Marlon Marais, and then Cody Garbrandt in a five-round main event May 22nd that served to set up this one. Font the favorite, Aldo the dog, James Krause on which side do you fall, brother? Uh, another tough one. If this was three rounds, I would go, I would go Aldo. But because it's five, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go font. That's and, what Longo uh, said. Yeah, interesting. I, I'm gonna go font. I, this is a tough one, man. I don't feel like the odds, I don't feel like the odds are right on this one. I really don't. Uh Man, Aldo, golly, man, he's just like, look at who's, there's not a lot of guys that have beat him. You know what I mean? Like he's getting beat by some of the, the elite of the, of the division, you know? And it's just, it's really tough to bet against a guy like him. But Font to me, I've been on the Rob Font bandwagon for years before anybody knew who he was. Uh, him and I fought on the same card together. He fought uh, Douglas the Silva or Silva de Andrage. Yep. Uh, the same night I fought Tom Glickio, and uh, I've been I've been I've been watching him since before that. I've held pass for him before. 
I've been on the Rob Font bandwagon. I, I'm not I'm not getting off right now. I do think this fight is a little bit closer on the odds than than what's uh, than what's shown. Right. Uh, I'm gonna go Font by decision. Font by decision. Yeah, I mean, I thought it would be a pick em fight. Rob Font is minus 150, so a little bit more pronounced than I forecasted. Rob Font is 34, Jose Aldo 35. By the way, Kenny fought Jose Aldo when he was 25 years of age. Still very dangerous, and Kenny, in some ways, he's better, right? Like, in some ways, Aldo is better than he was. Um, Why are you bringing course, up old stuff, John? I know. I can't, <laughs> I can't help it. And I just have to say for Rob Font, right? Right. Born in Lemonster, Massachusetts, fights out of fucking Woburn, Mass. Woburn? New England cartel. Huge spot in the main event here against Jose Aldo, as beloved as anybody on the roster. Ken Flo, Aldo Font, men on the marquee. Who wins the main event and how? This is a tough one. Uh, Rob Font, first of all, uh, doing a great job of putting New England, putting Massachusetts on the map. Um, you look at his last four fights. I mean, look at the guys that he's beaten. Sergio Pettis, who's now you know the world champ over in Bellator. Ricky Simone, Marlon Moraes, Cody Garbrandt, all savages. Um, you know, and uh, you look at the improvements he's made technically. You know, mentally you know, uh, conditioning wise, he's firing in all cylinders, uh, and he's going to be extremely difficult to beat. However, he is fighting a, a guy in Jose Aldo who is showing that he is still getting better and he still has a ton of tricks up his sleeves. Now, if you look at the guys that have beaten him, you know, Piotr Jan, Marlon Marais, I thought Aldo won that fight. Volkanovsky, you know, these are all, you know, championship level uh, or champions uh, in the respective divisions uh, who, who are doing this. So, um, you know, Rob Font is, is certainly on that uh, or on the path to becoming that. Is he there yet? I don't know. Um, I, I think we'll find out. If he's able to beat someone like Jose Aldo, then watch the hell out. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I think Aldo still has enough up his sleeve to win a decision here. And we also can't forget Josie Aldo is a high-level Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. He may put Font on his back and, and try to take the fight to the ground and, and look for superior positioning and look for a submission. We saw him take that path against uh, Cheeto Vera. Uh, so he may do the same and mix things up uh, and, and keep Font guessing. I don't think that would be a terrible strategy here. I think we kind of forget uh, about Jose uh, and his grappling skills. Um, he's so good on the feet that we forget that he comes from, um, you know, one of the best Brazilian jiu-jitsu camps in the world in Nobu Niao. So I, I like Aldo here. Can he get the submission? Yes. But I, I think it's going to come down to a decision. Jose Aldo does enough to get the win, but he has to watch out. Just like you know, James was saying and Ray was saying, you got to watch out in that fourth and fifth round. That's where Rob Font may be saving it a little bit and start to turn it on where we've seen Jose Aldo start to lose it. So uh, yeah. Jose has to recognize that at this point. I would think he's got to be prepared for that strategy and, and to be ready for that onslaught late in the fight. I think he will be and be able to survive. Uh, I like Jose here in this fight to win by decision. I can't tell you how enjoyable it is for me to hear you two fellas go back and forth. Hopefully the listeners feel the same way. Uh, at the James Krause on social media, if you want more. Are you uh, on the road this weekend? Where are you headed? Nope. Home. Wow. Home, home baby. There we go. Well, enjoy the uh, the great state of uh, of Missouri. Or are you in Kansas? I always get no, confused. No. 
Nobody's on the ah. Kansas City, Kansas side, bro. Come on. Oh Stop. my God! No, I remember. I remember Brian Stan and I crossed the border at one point because he he had to get his legs waxed and pay off a bet, and we couldn't oh, find wow. somebody in Missouri to wax a man's legs. We had to go to Kansas. So there you have it. Hey, Missouri's the side you want to be on. Yeah. All right. The Show Me State. Hey, good stuff as always, brother. We'll talk to you. Big big pay per view coming up next week. So we'll talk to you next month. See you, dude. Thanks, guys. There he is. Absolutely love having James Krause on this program He's every week. I really do. And. uh and he is going to be with us throughout 2022 as well. And I got to think Font Aldo kind of like the ultimate win for Ken Flo a little bit, right? Because I know you got a place in your hot for Jose Aldo, but if the fucking Lemonster kid. I can't lose. I don't Fonte lose here. Can come yeah. through here. I mean, are you kidding me? And he if you be a champ. That the, the Chihuahua analogy, it's not like a, uh, I don't think it's a shot at all. Like I am going to make that comparison on the airwaves. <laughs> A lot of time oh. during those greater fights to make those uh, comparisons. And by the way, Rob Font had COVID-19. And had he not, he might have gotten that opportunity to fight Piotr Jan on Fight Island instead of Corey Sandhagen. Now, could be a case to be careful what you wish for, or Rob Font could be an interim UFC Bantamweight champion already. Either way, biggest fight of his life is coming up, uh, and it's no in about five more sleeps. All right. If you want merchandise to support the show, you can do that. AnnaFlorianPodcast.com. Special promo right now. Code is FAM15. Gets you 15% off. AnnaFlorianPodcast.com. Uh, don't forget Kemflo's YouTube channel as well. Um, and remember, the show will be live this Thursday night with Bilal, Muhammad, and Jason Anik on this very channel. One more sleep merchandise is yours at millions.co. Thank you to our guests, Ray Longo, James Krause. Our executive producer is Cody Merrow. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Thank you all for listening. We are back with you next Monday to preview the monster that is UFC 269, Oliveira versus Poirier. Until then, for Ken Flom, John Anik, thank you all for listening, for watching. Tell your friends you'll fucking later. <laughs>